We are glad. We wish we could see you here in the room, but we are so glad that you are tuned in today. And let me pray and ask the Lord to guide our time in the Word, that it would enrich our lives, and that it would instruct us, and that it would, would change our view, maybe, on prayer. Let's go before the Lord. Father, we ask that you equip us this morning with a clear understanding of your word, of a clear understanding of how prayer fits into who you are as a sovereign God, our role, your role, and for the sake of not misunderstanding who you are, Lord, that we would truly uh, grasp this morning, or at least get one step, three steps, eight steps closer to knowing how to have a clearer view of you. We pray these things in accordance with your kingdom. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. This is a tremendous opportunity this past week for us to connect up with uh, the worship team, and we were blessed to give an opportunity as a gift to our worship leader, Joe. On Thursday, we presented him with a gift of a new guitar. Uh, to say thank you, and Joe's very excited. But we had to do it under this ruse of, oh, we have to come in and rehearse a song. So what was amazing is we were actually able to record that song beyond in one day. There's a couple mistakes here and there, but we didn't have a lot of time. And it was good enough, I felt like, that it, it got across what we're trying to do. So you're going to have that as a bumper on the front side of every one of these misunderstood uh, God messages. And the reason is, is I want Romans 11, 33-36 to be the primary scripture that we walk away with under the, 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 the focus, if you will, right? The proper focus of what we're supposed to glean with this series on the misunderstood God. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has ever given counsel to God that God could give back to him? For from him and through him and to him and by him are all things. And so one of the uh, predicated uh, polemics that we have in this study is starting with the focus that it's not about my will, it's about thy will. And much of what happens in our lives is the challenge or tension of a misunderstood God is that we filter God this way, right? We like to look at God through the big part of the lens rather than the small lens. You see, when I flip the lens this way, it means I'm the subject. It's all about my perspective. As opposed to, in order for this to really bring clarity into my life so I truly understand what is in front of me, this spyglass needs to be in this direction. It needs to be magnifying God and the greatness of God. Ergo, our statement today, not my will, but thy will be done. So, we transitioned last week into a Q&A time with our community. And as we have done so, uh, we've, we've reached out asking that we would get some questions from people in our community, and uh, today is our second, and it involves prayer. And so let me show you uh, what our question is today in the series, Misunderstood God. This comes from Brad of Concord, California, and Brad wants to know, if God is truly sovereign, why should we continue to pray? Brad, I hope you prayed about that question. I'm sure you did. Uh, it is a great question. It's one that, if I were to explain it maybe a little bit deeper, then I would maybe form it this way, right? That Brad's question hits on a tension point for so many in the Christian faith or outside of our faith, where we've been disappointed in prayer or confused about prayer, confused about the role. And so today I really want you to walk away with two major things to help you remember our point out of Scripture. One is thy will versus my will. That's going to really, truly help you capture, Brad, what you need to capture to answer your question. The second is vantage, advantage, 
things. And we'll explain that in just a moment. But if I could maybe just reword your question for a second, Brad. Maybe the real sense of what Brad is asking can be stated this way. What is the value of prayer? Okay? What is the value of prayer? Because Brad's asking, and let's go back to his question here for a second. If God is truly sovereign, why, and we'll explain what sovereign means, why should we continue to pray? In other words, what's the value of praying if God's already worked everything out? If I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask that God would work on my behalf, or God would take away my anxiety, or God would change circumstances, or maybe I'm going to intercede on behalf of others, but if God's already worked out and predetermined their lives, their wills, their circumstances, then why should I pray? Why should I pray? This is a great question. So let me let me reform the, the polemic here and, and let's word it maybe this way. What is the value of prayer if God is in control of all things? Thought I'd borrow from my last sermon series, right? Or if prayer can move God to action, then is He in control or am I? And inside that, that last little bit of the polemic is the tension of what often happens in prayer. Much of the time when we end up misunderstanding God, especially in the idea of prayer, it has everything to do with the idea that prayer means I'm in control. That, that what I attempt to do in prayer is to change the circumstances around me because God is what? God's promise, if I ask, I will what? I'll receive. And so we look at that with maybe a little bit of a more narrow view than we should. And sometimes we get disappointed because if there's this sense of control, right? Or if prayer can move God to action, then is He in control or am I? If we get disillusioned with prayer because I'm just not seeing the things happen the way that I'm praying, then what's the point? God's already in control. I'm just going to leave it to Him. He's wiser than I am. Great question. There is so much at stake spiritually in this, in this question. And for us to truly start to understand, please know this. Number one, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer today. We can only look at certain aspects of it in context to this question. We can only look at certain aspects. We can only brush up against uh, or, or looking at and examining the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. We're going to give you a synopsis on both, but our purpose today is to give clarity to this question so as we move forward, I want to remind you of an individual that I, I hope you write this name down. If you truly want to understand prayer and the power of prayer, if you want to be challenged, as I was reading through uh, this book, The Complete Works of Ian Bounds on Prayer, I was referencing it over this week again. I've had this book for uh, a while. Um, but as I was referencing it, I came across something in uh, chapter 4 where Ian Bounds does not sugarcoat anything. This is an individual that is wholly committed to pursuing the Lord and walking in the faith with all three feet. Alright? If you understand what I'm saying. In his pursuit, he says this about prayer. He says a lot of things about prayer. But I was caught off guard in reading this and he says, those who refuse to pray or are lacking in prayer should no more be considered Christians than those who are anathema to Christ. That is heavy. Let me, let me back end his comments just to scope because I started evaluating how we approach prayer, especially men. I'm going to pick on the guys right now. Men, we tend to be individuals who we feel all the pressures on us to control things. We don't necessarily like the idea of, of going before God and turning over or surrendering or submitting to God in, in all things. 
because we feel like we are evaluated based off of our performance. Now, that's not just selective men, but in my conversations with men, as they struggle with prayer, these are the reasons I'm told they struggle with prayer. There, there's quite a few many others, but, but let's just relegate it to, to that for right now. Let me just share with you that as I've traveled around the world, I have stepped inside of, by invitation only, I have stepped inside of mosques in three different countries around the world on Fridays on the Holy Day of Prayer as a guest of an imam. To see those men who are devoted, now whether or not it's the correct kind of devotion, that's a different question. But those men are devoted to leave work at lunchtime and come in and kneel down. Nobody says, ah, I got bad knees. Nobody says, ah, I'm not really into that. Nobody. There were thousands, last time I was able to do this, there were thousands of men gathered in solemn prayer and devotion. Now, I happen to think that the reason is, is that the religion of Islam is based on fear. And there is a community that if you don't, if you say you are is Islamic, that you have to be part of that. There is a huge pressure there. But let me encourage you, and, and here's why I mention all of this. Why is it we don't, men, feel the pressure to lead our families or to grow in our own walk? or to seek after God with even half the devotion of those men who are gathering for prayer on Friday. By the way, it's not just Friday. They pray five times a day. And they get up very early in the morning to pray. There is something about that that is missing within our Christian faith. And when Ian Bounds comes along and says, those who disregard prayer as part of their spiritual walk in life aren't just nominal Christians. He actually questions whether or not they truly are Christians. So this is a very, very serious subject for us to look at this morning and to contemplate where are we. I would contend that many of us throw away or are disenfranchised with prayer because of this control issue. Hopefully this morning we can answer some of those questions and bring back and institute or reinstitute a freshness, a, a newfound devotion to our prayer life so that we don't let these circumstances of a misunderstood God direct, steal, rob from our ability to pray and fully engage with God. So part of our challenge, and, and we'll get to these complete works of prayer uh, by Ian Bounds. I've got a couple quotes from him this morning. One is, he says, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on uh, machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men and men of prayer. And just for the ladies out there who think that he's just speaking to men, he's using it as a transitive uh, pronoun. It, it has everything to do with mankind. There's something about the church where maybe what what feeds Brad's question this morning is that we have misapplied where the power of God is. We have misunderstood where God shows up in prayer and how God shows up in prayer. And Ian Bounds, again, I encourage you to pick it up. Be, be prepared to get slapped around a little bit spiritually. But if you truly want to grow, if you truly want the manual for how to engage with God in a powerful prayer life, that feeds your soul and changes the world around you, these are the individuals that you need to have as mentors in your life. So let's move forward in this. By the way, this is a great quote, and this will be our quote to walk away with today. Prayer moves the hands that move the world. 
So Brad and Concord, that statement is as succinct as possible to answer your question. God's hand is the one that is in control of the world. But, conversely, God has instituted the practice of us coming to Him and asking with supplication, asking with uh, the citizenship, the rights of those who are citizens or sons of God, daughters of God, that He desires that we would ask. And we'll show that in Scripture in a little bit. So this statement is just so prolific to answering the question. Walk away today with this idea that prayer moves the hand that, yes, is sovereign and moves the world. What is the value of prayer if God is in control of all things? This is the question we have to struggle with today. So, I take you to a favorite movie of mine. It's called Vantage Point. And I don't know if any of you have seen this. Um, I will tell you that there is violence in the movie. It's about a bombing that happens, and um, the, the main character is a CIA uh, or, or actually Secret Service uh, agent that's tasked with uh, protecting the president. But the unique thing about this movie that's very different than any other movie is that they show you the same scene four different ways in the movie. And it is this beautiful exercise of understanding the whole perspective. But it's a great, why do I mention it? Because it's a great demonstration that in my ability or disadvantage in prayer, I only see things through my eyes, through my cognitive resources, through my understanding or my misunderstanding. I am a fallible Individual when it comes to the idea of prayer. And so this movie set forth this understanding for me to know that just because I see something happen one way, that's not necessarily all that goes into it. And this is a desperately important point when it comes to Brad's question. If God is completely in control of everything, then what's the point of me praying? And yet, in this movie, it's fascinating how they were able to track down and figure out what was actually going on once they were able to assess different vantage points. And so this morning, the question that I want to encourage you with is, what is your vantage point? Are you at an advantage? Well, when we are praying in accordance with thy will and not my will, and let me give you the visual, thy will and not my will, then we have an advantage. When we pray my will versus thy will, we're at a disadvantage. We will not understand God. We will not understand his way. We will forsake his blessing. We will forsake uh, his economy and all the things that he is striving towards in working out those things. And then we get disillusioned with, well, what happened to these promises that if I just ask, Right? John 15. If I just ask, if I seek, then it will be given unto me. Let's look. Let's look at how all this works this morning. Does God change his mind because of prayer? So that's kind of really what's being asked, isn't it? Does God change mind? So I went back and I kind of referenced multiple points in Scripture that might speak to this. All right? Let's be real about this. That's one of the things about this series is that we want to take on the hard questions that people have. And then we want to look at how can Scripture truly answer those in a concrete way so that I feel like I've got a foundation underneath me, so that I have a clear understanding of God, so that I'm in harmony with God. One illustration of this, and by the way, again, think in this view, thy versus mine, right? Moses and the sin of the people out of Exodus 32. And so I'm not going to read those passages to you for the sake of time, but I'm going to reference them, and you can go back this week and look at them. i got the references up there. But the people were sinning greatly against the Lord. Many of you know the story. So Moses sees the sin of the people, and he perceives, and rightly perceives, the anger of the Lord. So he goes back up to intercede on behalf of the people, and God says, what? I am going to destroy 
these evil people. I am going to blank their name out of the book. And yet, because of Moses interceding, right? What is prayer? Prayer is communication with God. Prayer is the act. Prayer is the conversation with the Almighty. And because of Moses' intercession for the people and their sinfulness, it's one of the hardest passages of Scripture for a pastor to explain. God seems to change his mind. Now remember our quote. Now God is sovereign, and he says, I'm going to wipe these people out. Is he not sovereign? Does he flip-flop? Does he change his mind? How, does God change his mind because of prayer? I'm not going to give you the total answer there. I'm just whetting your appetite for the conversation. Let's look at another one. David in the death of his son. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Nathan shows up. He knows the sin of David and Bathsheba and David with the murder of Uriah. And what happens and what transcends is that David is caught in his own hypocrisy. And because God is just, and because God is merciful, and because God is righteous, there is a consequence to David's sin. Not because God is wrathful, but in this situation, what happens is Nathan says, because of your sin, the child will die. Abbreviated story, David weeps. David fasts. David goes into prayer. He's unconsolable. We don't know for how long of a period of time, but the whole household was aware of his grief. And then when he was informed that the child did pass, he rose up, took a bath, cleaned himself up, and sat and ate. And the, the household was amazed at how he changed. And he was asked, why is it that you were doing this? You were weeping before God. You were beseeching him. But now, it looks as if you're completely calm. He said this, because while the child was alive, I sought after God that he might, what? Change his mind. But now that the child is dead, there is only one option. Because I trust God. I trust God with this child. I do not blame God. It's my consequence. He says, I will go to him. He will no longer come to me. You see, David understood the parameters of the circumstances, and he was not disillusioned that God didn't hear him. He had to live with what was set in stone as a sovereign God. But he still prayed. He still was a man who sought after God's heart. And as we continue on, and there's so much more to teach about that. Remember, I, I don't have the time to teach with each one. Abraham's gambit with Sodom, right? You remember this out of Genesis 18? Maybe you don't. Maybe you need to go look at it. But God tells Moses, or God tells Abraham that he's going to destroy Sodom. But there's a problem. I got, I got family down there, God. Could you, you know, let me make a deal with you, God. Again, prayer, right? Conversing, asking, beseeching, interceding. Let me make a deal with you, God. If, if, if there's X amount of people that are righteous in Sodom, would you spare it? Sure. And, and you know, went from 10 people to, you know, how, however many. The reality is, being a sovereign God, God knew there weren't any righteous people, but he did spare Lot and his family. And you know the rest of the story. So again, another case where, where an individual is asking of God, who is sovereign, to change. Now in some situations like Moses, it seems like God changed his mind. In some situations like these two, God didn't change his mind. Jesus, Peter, and Satan out of Luke 22, 31. What am I speaking about? It's the part where Jesus says to Peter, Fascinatingly, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you. I am going to what? I'm going to pray for you. Here's one of the clearest, most concise answers to you, Brad. 
if Jesus himself, in the midst of a struggle, that he is God himself, he knows what's coming because he is sovereign, right? This is a beautiful picture of your question. He knows that Satan, which Peter could never know, he knows that Satan is asked to sift Peter to bring trial and temptation on his life. And so how does Jesus answer that? Peter, I'm going to pray for you. But he doesn't stop there. He says, so that after, and what's implied is after you fail, that you would return and in essence feed my sheep. We'll revisit that story uh, uh, at the end of the sermon today. Then the last one that I want to bring up is Jesus in the garden, which is uh, the the uh, quintessence, per se, of our statement of thy versus mine, right? Jesus says to his Father, as he is in prayer, and he is living out the sovereign plan, the sovereign will of God, he goes before him three times in prayer, and culminating with this incredible statement, but not my will be done. Your will be done. And if I can succinctly answer Brad's question, I would say this. To just simply look at the story out of the Garden of Gethsemane, it gives me all confidence in how Jesus would want us, would want me to approach this problem, this polemic, and let my struggle be known. Because just prior to saying that, Jesus says what? He says, take this from me. Take this pain. Take what I am about to go through. Take this suffering that I'm about to bring upon myself in a voluntary level, being a substitute for humanity. Lord, if there is any way, or Father, if there is any way, take this off of my shoulders. Why would Jesus pray that knowing the will of God? I think he did it as a pattern of example to us, as a pattern of example to his humanity, that he had fully embraced what it meant to be human. But I, that's all conjecture. I, I don't know for sure. What I know is what I can learn from that moment, which is in moments where things are challenging and they seem to go against maybe necessarily what I know about the will of God, it's not prohibitive for me to say, Lord, I'm struggling in this area. Right? From my vantage point, this is what I would prefer. Can you please do this? Let me just help you understand that's okay. Demonstrated by Jesus in the garden. But if we just stay there, then we will misunderstand God. Because what happened to Jesus? Was that cup lifted? It was not lifted. And yet, what did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what does that sound like someone who's embittered against the Father? Feeling like he's been rejected, feeling like the the sovereign God, the sovereign Father doesn't listen? No. Because when he got to that last moment of breath in his, in his body, he said, what? It is finished. And we know, if, if we're students of the Word, we know that had Jesus rejected the call in his life, we would not be afforded salvation. So Jesus knew what was at stake. He knew the will of the Father. And that's why the last statement is paramount. Thy will how do we change God's mind? Ultimately, we don't really. How, how do I answer the Moses thing? Well, if you're really interested in knowing that, call me. Call me or text me or email me. I don't have time right now. So what is prayer? What is prayer? Let's start with that. And let's start with the, the Lord's Prayer. Because Jesus says this. He's talking about the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. He's talking about how there is no power in what they do. And then he gives some instruction. Look, pray like this. And there is a there is a quote from Christ here, Brad, that answers your question beautifully. And we'll get to that in a moment. But let's look at the Lord's Prayer here. Matthew 6. You can turn there along with me. But it says this. 
Uh, I'll, I'll start in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. There's a conditional phrase in there. I hope you caught that. There's an if-then. There's a cause and effect. Now, can God reward you without you praying for it? Sure, that's called common grace. But God has definitely built in this part that if we pursue Him in prayer, there are answers to that prayer. And how will that fit with His plan and, and, and His sovereign will? There's only so much we can understand. And please remember, that's part of what we're talking about. Go back to the Romans 11 passage. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who can give counsel to God that God would give back to him? The challenge that we say is in, in evaluating and wrestling with and chewing on these statements is, well, it just, it doesn't really play out cleanly. Right? That, that if, if God is sovereign in his will, then why is he asking us to pray? Go, we know that Jesus is saying do this. Because there's a beauty that happens rather than just a remote control God. That, that, that God just does these things systematically and we just receive. That's cold. There's no intimacy in there. There's no relationship of a father to a child. One of the quotes Ian Bounds has about prayer is that prayer is much like a child reaching his arms up to his father. That's one of the beauties of prayer. But if we just rely on the will of God and his plan to work itself out without our engagement in it, we end up in a position of misunderstanding God. So let's get to uh, the next part. And so he says, pray like this. Uh, verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. There's a hint, go ahead. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So what do we want to look at in context to our question today? Well, let's break it down. <clears throat> Again, remember, thy will versus my will helps predicate this. Now, I gave a big hint, inflection, point of emphasis, right? This is incredible in context to Brad's question. Jesus gives him the answer. He says what? Do not be like them, them being the Pharisees and the hypocrites. He says, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. There's your answer, Brad. Jesus himself says what? You still need to pray, but understand this, God already knows what you need. Now why would Jesus assume we need to know that? Why would he communicate that to us? Because if I know that somebody has it all mapped out, it's going to shake my quest. Isn't it? We see in the political world right now, we see individuals that ask questions to trap individuals. We see people who ask questions because they truly want to know the answer. We see people who ask questions that misunderstand the situation. Prayer is asking God. And so when we approach the way that Jesus instructs, if I approach my prayer life knowing that God knows already what I need before I ask, doesn't that make the statement, thy will, not my will, a breath of fresh air. Doesn't it instill confidence? Doesn't it give credibility to pray in such a faith-like manner? It does. It does. And the way that you begin to understand that is to practice that kind of prayer. So Jesus gives us the answer immediately. Number one, it's not an if or, it is a yes and yes, okay? It's a yes, God is sovereign, and yes, you are still to pray to him. Now, let's look at how we're supposed to pray to him. 
Um, by the way, Brad, pay attention to this verse. There you go. Just wanted you to point of emphasis. So, my prayers have changed recently based off of um, prepping for this study and, and some other things that are going on in my life. And you're going to hear me start finishing my prayers more and more with, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would I choose to finish my prayer? And just understand for those who might take offense that I'm not praying at the end, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Trust me, I'm praying in Jesus' name, okay? But if Jesus gave us this instruction, this is how then you should pray, and he never mentions pray in my name, I think I'm okay to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Let's not sacrifice Jesus' teaching, his empirical teaching, for tradition. And I trust me, I fully understand that we are supposed to ask in Jesus' name. So that's good, too. That's not a, not a knock-on, but let's pray in Jesus' name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. To segment or take from the Lord's Prayer the one part that will help Brad understand how to answer his question today, this is the lead verse. This is the lead instruction. When I choose to pray, and I understand that my Father in Heaven already knows what I need, it begins to shape how I pray. And then what happens as a result is it starts to give me a clear understanding of God. And if I don't have that clear understanding, if I don't have a clear understanding of His will, guess what I need to do? Not just pray, but I need to get into the Word of God so that I can truly understand what His will is. Then I ask the right questions. Then I ask the right questions. And much like being a teacher in a junior high class and being frustrated with all the wrong questions that are asked continually over and over, I can be free from that frustration and I can see the transformation truly start to happen in my own spiritual walk in life. How do I learn His sovereign will? How do I learn God's sovereign will? Now, as we wrap up today, I want you to understand there is, in this passage, Jesus gives us a clear demonstration, plan of action. Okay? Brad, here is a very clear teaching. Don't exchange formality prayer, religious prayer, traditional prayer, wasteless prayer, which Jesus was addressing with the hypocrites and the Pharisees. He said, instead, isolate yourself. There's a great relative word right now, right? Isolate yourself so it can just be you and the Father. Take the time to do that, and then you will start to understand. You will start to understand. You will create the opportunity to maybe actually hear God work in your life or, or give you confidence or give you peace or remind you of how He has been working around you and remind you of the prayers that He has answered. But He says what? But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And, your, and here comes the promise my friends, straight from Jesus. And so if you do that, your Father who sees in secret will what? Will reward you. Now, again, take that promise from Christ. Is he going to reward a bad question? No. Again, from my vantage point, I may think I should ask for these things. But from looking at God's will, that gives me an advantage point. And now I start to see the reward. When I don't look at it from God's will, I'm at a disadvantage point. And then I don't see the reward, and I get disillusioned with the power of prayer, and disillusioned in misunderstanding God. This kind of relates to my experiences at, at Home Depot or, or Walmart. And you may say, why? Well, because I'm, I'm that guy that walks into Home Depot or, or Walmart, and I'm not going to ask, where something is. Are you that person? I'm not going to ask where something is. I will wander. I will lose myself in there for a week. They, they've got hot dogs. I can survive. They've got a bathroom. I can pull it off. 
but I will not ask anybody. And, and I think maybe that goes back to just the most humiliating ask I ever had was when I, when I finally gave up at one point and I found a customer service rep. Oh, by the way, have you ever been in this situation where you're wandering those halls and, uh, and you see a customer service rep, right? They're wearing a, a, an orange shirt and, uh, or a blue shirt at Walmart, right? And so you ask them, uh, excuse me, can you tell me where the stud spreaders are? And they say, what? Uh, I don't work here. Oh, all right, so, so there's that humiliation. But the ultimate humiliation I had in asking one time was finding a proper service rep and just saying, uh, could you tell me uh, where, the, uh, where the drills are? And they just fixed their cold, steely eyes on me, tightened their jaw, and kind of cocked their head like that. And I just realized what had happened, and I said, they're right behind me, aren't they? And the person just rolled their eyes. And so that taught me never to ask again, ever, in one of these giant stores. When I'm at Walmart, my wife invites me when I say, I can't find it. She goes, use your uterus. I'm like, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, wife. And if you didn't take seventh grade biology, I don't have one. And I think that's maybe some sarcasm on her part. But the idea is sometimes we ask, why ask if I think I know where everything is? You're at a disadvantage, brothers and sisters. You are at a disadvantage. You, you and I don't know everything. That's what makes God sovereign. And sometimes we feel humiliated when we ask and we feel like God's not listening or this or that's not happening. That has to do with understanding things properly as far as what's being downloaded to us. How does the advantage of prayer work with the sovereign God? Thy versus mine. The sovereign God is defined as all-knowing, right? All-powerful, just, righteous, perfect, trustworthy. The difference in praying mine versus thy has everything to do with seeing God at work and answering my prayers and giving credibility and trustworthiness to a sovereign God. Let me throw a, a different perspective here. How many of you use Waze or Google Maps? And you've been doing the same route to work on your commute for three years. And all of a sudden, Waze tells you, reroute, 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 right? You're like, no, I know the right way to go. You know, here's a beautiful picture of how this fits somewhat with trusting in a sovereign God and asking Number one, you have to be willing to reroute. You have to be willing to ask. Even though I think this is the best way, maybe someone who has the ultimate perspective. What's so great about ways? What's so great about ways is that you have all these commuters that are uploading information telling you what? What's happening in real time? That's what makes it powerful and reliable and credible. God sees what's happening from that ultimate eye-in-the-sky perspective at all times, in real time. But so much of the time, we say, we got it. And we're stuck in a traffic jam spiritually. We're not moving spiritually because we refuse to reroute. Do you have the advantage of complete oversight? No, but God does. Do you pray with the ability to know and see all things? Well, that would be ridiculous. You and I are finite. God is infinite. He is defined, being God in his very essence, as the one who sees all things, knows all things, right? Can you depend on your integrity, righteousness, and perspective to inform your thinking without input from God? Usually when I do that, now let's just get rid of usually. Every time I do that, I fall flat on my face and there are negative consequences. When I truly understand God because I pursued Him and asked Him to reroute my life in accordance with His will, there is always a reward. That doesn't mean it doesn't mean it isn't tough. But it means it's the good and right alternative. How often do you end up in a jam because you refuse to consult the reroute option? In closing this 
morning, let me go back to Jesus, Peter, and Satan out of Luke 22, 31. Let's use this as a real-life situation to mock up whether or not this really does work. Is it worthwhile to continue to pray? Is there a value to prayer? Is there an advantage to prayer if I do so with his will and not my will? Let's go back to this illustration. Right? Jesus chooses to pray, yet he already knows the outcome. So here we have the perfect example to Brad from Concord's question. So Jesus, being very God, he says, what? I'm going to pray for you, Peter. That's not going to change the fact that Satan's going to try to fix you. Hmm. Then what's the point of praying? Jesus, what are you praying for? Because in my selfish vantage point or disadvantage point, I'm going to pray, could you just make sure Satan stays in his own yard? That would be great. That's how I would pray. But Jesus doesn't pray that. He's praying that Peter seemingly, we don't know exactly what what Jesus was praying, but seemingly by his words here, it's that Peter would go through the trial and that he would return after blowing it three times, and he would continue to live in response to God. That seems to be what Jesus is praying for. So he chooses to pray, but he already knows the outcome. And Peter says, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And yet, I love what Scripture infers here, is that when when Peter denies Jesus the third time, it's almost as as if you can hear or see Jesus, in the midst of his torment, just looked over silently at Peter. And imagine the crushing blow that that would have been for Peter in his failure, right? So Peter had a disadvantage. He overinflated his estimation. How many of us have done that? How many pastors have said, I will never morally fail? How many individuals go to the, the marriage altar saying, I plan on getting divorced? I I have not met anybody like that, and yet we struggle and we struggle and we struggle. We have a huge problem with admitting our own failures. And when we start saying, thy will, not my will, it truly shapes a valuable and rewarding prayer life. So Peter has a disadvantage because he's trusting in his own estimations. Oh, Lord, I'll never, you know, I'll never do that, right? Peter betrays Jesus three times and doesn't prophesy. Satan's at work. Peter's in trouble. He's at a huge disadvantage. And what happens? Well, something else happens in the midst of all that. Judas betrays Jesus one time as prophesied. And yet because Jesus is praying here for Peter, there's a difference in the outcome for Judas and Peter. Peter repents, he returns, and he responds. Thy will, not my will. Have you ever felt the crushing blows of guilt? so bad that you want to react like Jesus did. So many of us feel a circumstance in our life or a tragedy in our life that we get a misunderstanding of God. And sometimes it is prayer. Most of the time it is prayer in seeking God. And the plan that he has for redemption and repentance and forgiveness to completely understand God. We sang it earlier, this idea of the forgiveness of God. So Peter repents, returns, and responds. Judas, Judas tragically had a bad vantage point. And he was so consumed with his vantage point, he lost track of the forgiveness of God and the righteousness of God and the justice of God. And his life ended tragically. And yet, in John 3, 1, we see how Jesus reestablishes Peter and says, Go, feed my sheep, and who was the leader of the apostles. Peter had a good vantage point, the instruction of Christ. He leaned on what Jesus had promised. He leaned into what Jesus had promised. And so that leads us into some specific work for us today in close. Pray the promises of God and you will understand thy versus mine. Pray the promises of God and you will understand thy versus mine. 
Remember this morning in closing, prayer moves the hand that moves the world. And if we think in those contexts, vantage point, advantage point, disadvantage point, it helps us understand this question that Brad had, that if we simply sit in this, this pocket of thy will versus my will, then we start to pray the right way, and we can say that our prayers move the hand that moves the world. This morning, determine if you buy thy versus mine. Determine if you buy into thy versus mine. Number two, pray like Jesus. Number three, pray with complete trust and seeking his will. And he close this morning. Pray scripture so you can know his will. Pray scripture so you can know his will. Let me close in prayer this morning. And this is going to be our prayer time. And then we'll have our ministry moment real briefly. I'm going to have the worship team come on up uh, while I'm praying. And I want to encourage you to pray where you are. And we're just going to focus on this idea of recalibrating, right? Recalibrating, re, um, redirecting. Uh, what's that wave term? Re-what? Yes. Rerouting our prayer life. So it's in accordance with God's will so that we see the reward of our prayer. By the way, I think I have one last point that really helps you get confidence that there is a way to pray so that it interacts with God, deepens your spiritual walk, but it fits with the sovereign God. If prayed, we can see his hand move. What a tremendous thing. So let's go to prayer. Father, we have seen your hand move through prayer in, in many different ways. It doesn't mean that our will was invoked. It's that our will was aligned properly. It was rerouted properly with your will. And therefore, we know you better. Instead of having a misunderstood God, through our prayer life, Father, we are able to understand your will, your spirit, your direction in a deeper way. Let us be a people of confident prayer. Let us not surrender prayer at the whims of saying as an excuse, well, God's just in control. It doesn't matter that I pray. Father, I pray for each person that's viewing today that we recalibrate, we reroute our focus on prayer, and we become a people of prayer so that we can move the hand that moves the world. Not for our own desires, but that we do so according to your will. Let us give praise this week, specifically, all around us as to how we have seen answers to prayer. And that we would have the spiritual eyes, the spiritual focus, God, to know that we have met in that secret place. When we see the answers to our prayers, then we know we have aligned our prayers, not of our own strength, but because of you working in our lives, you have made that good connection with us. And there's a flow to the traffic of life, rather than being stuck in the traffic jam. Thank you, Father, that you have promised these things, and that we can pursue those through the act. We give all of this in saying, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven.